today we are talking about another uh, area of growing in our faith, having a mature faith. Um, seems to me in current events there's uh, something big coming up this week. We have an election coming. I don't know if you've heard this, <laughs> but the election is upon us, and that campaign just flew by, didn't it? Didn't it just fly by? That was the fastest 22 months I've ever experienced of presidential campaigning. It is coming up this week. Um, with the election looming, and just a little disclaimer right off the bat, um, I'm a Canadian citizen. So if you're new here, you don't really need to take anything I say politically too seriously because I don't get to vote. Um, so I'm going to have a couple of disclaimers. I have a little flag here just to show I'm, you know, here's today, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm pro-America. Even though I'm a Canadian citizen, we're going to talk a little political today. If you're new here, you're thinking, oh man, did I pick a bad day to come to church? It's going to be okay. With the election day looming, I want to talk about how a mature faith can navigate through a heightened, tense political climate. Because I believe a mature faith can navigate through that just well. And hopefully what I would love to do today is let you know, just to allow yourself to take a deep breath, that it's going to be okay. And the reason I say this is because mature faith has its heart set on heaven. Has its heart and their lives allegiance first and foremost to the kingdom of God. First and foremost, our allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Now, I am not downplaying the importance of this election. I want everyone to vote. I wish I could vote. I cannot. Um, I would love everyone to vote, to be prayerful about how they vote. I'll say this, and this might be the first thing you get annoyed at, so I'm just going to wave this flag to ease any tensions today. Um, I do not believe there is a one Christian way to vote. I believe we can be prayerful, and God has certain things that he puts on our hearts that are important to us. <laughs> I'm not downplaying the importance of this election. I heard one amen there, a tentative amen. So, um, I recognize the importance of being involved in the political arena. I recognize the importance of having people of faith involved in all areas of our society, including our government. Boy, do we need people of faith involved in our government, local and federal. Uh, and I just wanted to give a little shout out to the USA. Great country. I'm glad to be here. I call it home. So this is my, I'm going to read just to give a little more, you know, love for the country here. If you're watching online, look at what I'm doing here. Uh, I'm going to give a couple of the great inventions, a few of the great inventions and contributions that the United States has made to our world. The telephone, insulin, the television, the light bulb. Actually, wait, sorry. That's, that's the wrong list. That's... That's the list of Canadian inventions. My bad, I'll find. You didn't know this, and I didn't know this either. The light bulb was actually invented by Henry Woodward in 1874. He's a Canadian. And then he sold the patent to Thomas Edison. So Canadians not really good at knowing a good idea when we found one, because he clearly invented this light bulb and thought, this ain't going to go anywhere. So let's find some sucker to buy this patent. So. Um, so, uh, American inventions, you know, it's, I'll find the American list. Okay, here it is. American inventions. The potato chip. The lazy boy recliner. And the bachelorette. And a few other things, you know, like computers and the internet and those sorts of things. So, um, all joking aside, I know there is a high level of angst and even frustration and anxiety over this election. People using politics as a reason to divide and mistreat people, even hate certain people, hate groups of people. Fear is, as, as an out, somewhat of an outsider watching the campaign, fear is the biggest 
selling point here, right? It's we are voting because we are told to be afraid of what's going to happen if the other person wins or the other party wins. It's all going to be, you know, and it's fearful, fear-mongering of what's going to happen. There's a high level of fear and mistreatment and division. And um, I just want to remind us as God's people that we have no reason to fear. We have no reason to fear. And we certainly have no justification for the mistreatment of people or people groups because of our politics. Because, as I said at the start of this message, our allegiance, first and foremost, if you are a Jesus follower today, our allegiance, what you are saying is, you are first and foremost who I am allegiant, the kingdom of God, my highest allegiance, where my trust is. It's how when our mature faith comes and we have the kingdom of God as our first allegiance, well, then everything else gets viewed through that. That is the lens at which we view everything else. So when it's working correctly, uh, we view our politics through the lens of our faith and not view our faith through the lens of our politics. And that tends to happen every once in a while. So today we're going to look at the Old Testament. It's going to be fine. We're all good, right? We're going to smile under our masks. This is going to be a good message. No reason to be nervous. My wife is not here. And when I told her what I was preaching on, she got, she gets nervous. So because she's not here, I get to say whatever I want. I don't have to worry about her giving me the evil eye, at least until later today. Um, we're going to look at the Old Testament, a couple of stories about governments and kings and rulers just to help us view all of the chaos around us through the right lens of our faith. Okay, we good? We good so far? Amen? All right. So we're going to start in the book of Exodus. Um, we're going to be looking at a couple of different. We're going to be in Exodus and 1 Samuel and Daniel today. So starting in verse uh, chapter 6, verse 6 of Exodus. This is when Israelites are in slavery. This is at the very start of their journey. And God had told them for years and years and years, starting with Abraham, hundreds of years before this, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And all of a sudden, Israel finds themselves in slavery in Egypt. So obviously, they're questioning the promise of God to make them into a great nation. I'm going to read these verses. This is what God is saying to the Israelites right before he delivers them into the promise or out of Egypt in slavery. This is what God says to them in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with mighty acts of judgment. And here's what I want us to get today. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now, we read that and we think that's a very great motivational speech by God, and that would inspire us if we were caught in slavery, and we'd be like, yes, God is with us. But what God was saying was specifically about the nation they would become God is setting it up where he's telling them, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be your king. Very practically speaking, you're not going to need to be like all these other nations that have a king and rulers over them. But God is saying, you're going to be a great nation. You're not even going to need to have a king because I'm going to be that for you. I'm going to be the one that rules over you, the one that provides and protects and fights your battles. This is what God was setting up. I'm going to be your God and your king, and you're not going to, it's going to be a very different thing than any other nation. And certainly for Israel, they had no way of kind of understanding this, no way of getting, because 
they would be like saying, well, some invisible person is going to watch over us, and it would be hard for them to grasp. This idea of, certainly this idea of an invisible God, one true God, a God that is everywhere, was foreign in that part of the world in that time because gods were little statues. All the nations had little statues that represented gods, and they had kings that they could see, and it was a very visible thing. So God is saying, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to be your God and your king, and you're not going to need to worry about all these other things. A very new and foreign concept for their, them to understand. And we see that, how hard it is for them to understand, because soon after that, God delivers them out of Egypt into the wilderness where they're wandering around, and then God gives them the law and the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments and the law. And what happens when Moses is up on Mount Sinai? If you know your Old Testament stories, you know that is when, like really not that long after God says, I'm going to be your God, I'm going to provide victory, all of a sudden Moses is up getting the law, and the Israelites melt all the gold they can find and form this little statue, a golden calf that they can worship. That is because this still was ingrained in their mind of gods are things that we can see and touch and visible statues. So this idea of an invisible God that is going to rule over them was so foreign. And you see how quickly they turn to idol worship and idolatry. They, they're saying, give me something real that I can see. So this is how God is setting it up. And then soon after that, and we just finished a series on Joshua, and when God delivers them into the promised land, he establishes them as a nation, and then he has certain judges that rule over them, all with the same understanding. You don't need a king. I'm going to be your king, is what God is saying to them. I'm going to be the one to watch over you. But then we're going to jump ahead to 1 Samuel. This is after years and years and generations of these judges and rulers and God as their king. This is what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is where the story continues. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. This is when Israel decides that things aren't going well enough for them and they need to do something different. And this is what it says. So all of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, who was the prophet at Ramah. They said to him, you are old should never start a conversation like that. You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying. Listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. God's even referring to that time where they made the golden calf. He's referring to this request that they have made to have a king the same way he referred to them worshiping that golden calf. He's saying they're, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. God takes that desire for them to have a king as a rejection of him as he should because he was to fulfill that role and that leadership. And what we see in Israel was allegiance to a king was a rejection of God. Allegiance to a king was a replacement of God. Notice he compares the request to that golden calf. The idea that we want a king was them saying, God, we don't want you to rule over us anymore. Our allegiance is to an earthly ruler instead of you as everything we need. So I'm going to stop there in case some of you are wondering. I'm going to get my little visual aid. 
Are you saying that we shouldn't have a political ruler over us? Maybe I'll be thinking that. Like, are you saying that we shouldn't vote or that we don't need a president, that we shouldn't care about politics? No, that's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. For any follower of Jesus, it's important to have king and God in the right places, in the right view, in the right frame. Now, when I say king, we don't have a king here, and you're like, that's right. We overthrew the king, and that's good. That's fine. When I say king, we are talking about any government ruler, government that rules over us, that watches over us. So, as followers of Jesus, it's important to have king and God in the right place and not swap their roles and not put king as our ultimate allegiance Samuel goes on to warn the Israelites when they make this request to have a king. And notice what the Israelites said. They said, we want a king. Why do they want it? Because all the other nations have a king. All the other nations. We want to be just like all the other nations. When God had told them, you're going to be different. You have a different purpose and a different calling and a different relationship with the one true God. You don't need to worry about all the other nations. Students, have you ever heard your, maybe it was old-fashioned, maybe only my parents said this, but when you'd say, well, all my friends are doing it, what did your parents say? Well, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you go do that too? Something like that, right? This is what's happening with Israel. God is saying, if all the other nations jumped off a bridge, would you want to do that too? Samuel goes on to warn them, to warn Israel, you don't know what you're wanting. He warns them, a king is going to come and take all your sons to build an army, a king is going to come tax you 10%. 10%, can you imagine? 10% to fund that kingdom. And then you're going to cry out because you're unhappy with your king, but it's going to be too late. Your allegiance to this king, you don't know what you're wanting. It's not going to go well for you. And But God says, you know what? If this is what you want. And Israel says, yes, this is what we want. We want a king. And so that's what happens. And Israel ends up with their first king. And you know what the name of the first king of Israel was? It was King Saul. Saul, and then after that was King David, and then King Solomon. And if you want to read, like, this book of Samuel and Chronicles and Kings are all the books in the Old Testament that talk about all the years that Israel had a king. And it went well sometimes, and it went terribly wrong sometimes. But this is when Israel ends up with a king, and God still remains sovereign. It wasn't that all the kings were necessarily evil. And God still worked through them. But let's look, at a min- look for a minute at what Israel missed out on. In this desire for a king, what did Israel miss out on? The opportunity for God to work so closely with them that he was like a king over their nation. For an opportunity to have God fighting their battles. To have God be the one that would lead them into victory. To have God be the one that would conquer their enemies. To have God be the one that would provide for them, you know, fix the economy and social security and all those things, right? All those political hot buttons. God would be the one to provide and protect and to lead. That opportunity, what an opportunity for this group of people to have that close of a relationship with the one true God, and they forfeited it because they said, we want to be like all the other nations. We want to have a king that looks like all the other nations. They missed out on a piece available to them knowing that God was in control. I'm going to say that again. There is a peace available when we know that God is in control. Their desire for a king replaced a longing for God. Now, here's the point I'm making. For all of us Jesus followers on this Sunday before election day, we must have our allegiances in the right order. Amen? We must have our allegiances in the right order. 
When we treat our king like a god, we are messed up. In the same way that God says, those Israelites that formed the golden calf, they had everything wrong. Mature faith is kingdom of God allegiance, first and foremost. Mature faith is trusting in God for everything in our life, right? Do we trust God for everything in our life? Now, this, is kinda, this can be taken as kind of religious pastor speak of just metaphorical. Oh, we trust God for everything, and everyone says amen. But really, practically speaking, the actual needs that you have, we trust God that he is going to provide for those. The actual needs that we have for provision and protection. So perhaps you are worried about this election, how it will affect taxes or your income or your job or the economy or health insurance or freedom. Real life stuff that people are worried about, right? We're worried about some of these things. How is this going to affect me in real life ways? Kingdom of God allegiance means that we know, we know no matter what happens on Tuesday, we know that God is still our source, right? When we have kingdom of God allegiance, we say whatever happens on Tuesday, we know that the one who is providing for us and protecting us and guiding us and giving us purpose and hope and a reason for what we do on this earth, all of those things remain unchanged regardless of what happens on Tuesday because we have God over us. Amen? We have God as our source, real life stuff. So I made a little, um, to make this interactive, and you don't have to answer out loud, but just allow these questions. I made a little quiz, and we can put up the first slide. It's God or King. God versus King. This time it's personal. God versus King. This time it's personal. I'm going to ask some questions, and you can just do a little inventory. Think really, really, like practically about your life in this election season, what you hope the government will do or plan on the government doing. First question, who is sovereign over your life? You don't need to answer out loud. Just think about it. Who is sovereign over your life? Who is your protector? Who is providing for you and your family? Who gives you security? Who gives you purpose and identity? Whose kingdom are you striving to advance first and foremost? Who has your trust and your ultimate allegiance? As I already mentioned, this election does not change any of the most important things in your life. Your provider, your protector, your identity, your source of joy and peace and purpose and calling are all, on, all the same on Wednesday as they are today. Side note, I don't believe we're going to know who our next president is on Wednesday. I believe it's probably going to go on for a while. You don't need to be fearful of that. There's probably going to need to be some ballots that are in a, in a mailbox somewhere. They're, they're going to count, and we can still believe that God is still working and that we can still have peace through this process. Amen? But the point is, when election day is all said and done, all of those things are still the same. Our source of provision and protection and identity and calling and purpose and joy and peace because they're not found in the government, right? They're found in our God. They're found in our God because we are ultimately allegiant to him. We find great joy, and that's the point of this whole message, is to not everyone feel like, oh, well, we shouldn't care about this or that. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying we walk through a very heightened political climate as followers of Jesus with just a joy and a peace that comes to us uniquely because we know God.
the one true God. We don't need to be tossed around by all the worry and all the yelling and fear-mongering that's going around. It is important to vote. It's important to be involved. It's important to speak up for the things that God has put on your heart, for the things that you think need to be spoken up for. It's important. These are important things. But we do so as people who are not shaken by the results, whose ever-sure foundation for their life is unchanged. So I'm going to wrap up. i got a few minutes left. I'm going to wrap up with two quick stories out of the book of Daniel. So we can fast forward to the book of Daniel. This is after all the generations of Israel having a king, good and bad. And if you read those other books, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, you can read about, I mean, most of it's about Saul and David and Solomon. Those are kind of the big kings. But then the kingdom splits into two, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and they each have a king. And some of them are really terrible, and some of them are good, and some of them become kings when they're like eight years old. And that's always interesting to think about what that would be like. But this is all what happens. But fast forward through all of those years of kings, because then what happens is Israel is conquered by Babylon, and the Israelites are sent into exile. So it's like another nation comes in and conquers Israel, and a lot of the citizens of Israel are taken into Babylon. It would be like, just for example, if Canada conquered the United States, okay? Just imagine for a moment, right? And then all of you had to go up to Canada and be inputted into Canadian life and Canadian culture. So you'd find yourself watching curling on television, right? I already see some people shaking their heads. You'd find yourself putting ketchup on stuff that has no business being on. You'd find yourself being way more laid back and possibly funnier. Um, (laughs) This is what happens to the Israelites. They are all of a sudden... Most of them are taken into Babylon, where they now are under the rule of evil Nebuchadnezzar, idol-worshipping Nebuchadnezzar. If you know the story and you read it in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is the king that put up the huge statue of himself and made everyone bow down and worship, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, that whole story, that's found in Daniel. This is that king. This is while Israel is in exile in Babylon. So imagine finding yourself at the lowest of the lows, thinking, man, we have lost our national identity. We have lost our relationship with God. This is all that's going on. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream one night. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of this big, giant tree that is visible for the whole earth. And an angel comes from heaven and cuts this tree down. And Nebuchadnezzar is upset by this dream, and he wants somebody to interpret this dream. So he calls for anybody who can do it, and somebody says, well, I know Daniel. Daniel is one of those Israelites that we brought over from Israel. He hears from God, and he can interpret this dream for you. So Nebuchadnezzar calls Daniel and says, Daniel, please interpret this dream for me. And this is what it says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 24. This is Daniel speaking. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree. The Most High, talking about God, has issued against my Lord and King. You will be driven away from your people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by, and here's what I want us to get, before, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and gives them to anyone he wishes. The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. This is Daniel 
saying, this is what God is saying through this dream. King Nebuchadnezzar, you have built yourself a huge statue. You have elevated yourself. You have made yourself the focus of worship, and it's going to be taken away from you, and you will be humbled. And then Daniel says those words, until you realize that God is sovereign over every kingdom on the earth, and he gives them to whoever he wishes. Next story of the next king is found in the next chapter of Daniel, Daniel chapter 5. Now, because Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, his throne was taken away from him, and now there's a new king, King Belshazzar. King Belshazzar has a moment where he throws this huge party. He throws a huge party, and because he's kind of throwing it in Israelites' faces that we conquered you and now we lord over you, he says, you know what would be great? is if we took all the gold and sacred things that were in the temple of Israel that we conquered and we kept for ourselves, go grab those gold goblets that were sacred in the Israelite temple. We're going to use them for our party. So they do that. They go get all the sacred things out of the temple of God that the Israelites had, bring them to this huge party that Belshazzar was throwing for himself, and all of a sudden this giant hand appears and starts writing on the wall. Have you ever heard the phrase, the writing on the wall? This is where that phrase comes from. In the middle of this party, a hand appears and starts writing on the wall, and Belshazzar obviously is a little taken back and wants someone to tell him what this means. And so again, they say, well, Daniel was the one who interpreted the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Let's bring him in and see if he knows. And so they bring Daniel in, and this is what Daniel says in uh, chapter 4, Oh, wait, no, sorry, chapter 5, I'm on the wrong page here. Chapter 5, verse 21, starting in chapter 5, verse 21. This is what Daniel says when he looks at the writing on the wall. Daniel says, well, this is a similar message to what God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. And he's referring to Nebuchadnezzar. And he says this, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, he was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until... He acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and sets them over anyone he wishes. And Daniel goes on to say, and you, Belshazzar, are the same way. You've exalted yourself, and this kingdom very, this very night will be taken from you. But I want you to get as those words, if we can put that scripture back up on the screen, until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets them over anyone he wishes. This is a word of encouragement for us today. The Lord is still sovereign over every kingdom, over every nation. Our God is the God who rules over every kingdom and nation on our earth today. He gives them to whomever he wishes. Tuesday will not change God's sovereignty. Tuesday will not change our allegiance. Your provider and protector and ultimate authority is still sovereign, still in charge. Amen? Is still watching over you, bringing grace and peace and identity and security, still bestowing supernatural joy and life, abundant life. This is the God who is sovereign over every kingdom of the earth, who is not shaken by the results this week. This God who is not going to get voted out. This God who is sovereign, and in him we have security, peace, and joy. This is how we have a mature faith that frames everything that in life that we view through it. When we view politics through this mature faith, we see that God is still sovereign. There's no reason to fear. In spite of what's being shouted, we don't have any reason to fear because God is ultimately over our life. 
And when we put him as our ultimate allegiance, this is the joy and the peace and the rest that we can find in that. Amen? This is a way that we can go through this week just taking a deep breath and amidst all the other angst and all the other things that we're worried about, we can say, but God is sovereign. God is watching over us. No matter what happens to this country, God is over us. And our calling to be light for him remains unchanged. His ability to give us everything we need and to watch out over us and protect us and guide us, that remains unchanged. And we can go through this with this mature faith that just recognizes, God, you are sovereign over my life, over every kingdom of the earth. So I'm praying this week, and I want us to take a moment at the end of this service just to pray for this election this week, because it's important. This election is one of the great reasons to live in this country, that we get to vote for our rulers, local, in the state, all around the country. We get to vote. This is a great thing to be able to do. What a, what a great privilege and responsibility to be able to vote for our leadership. So make sure you vote. Make sure you're praying about your vote. We have people, you know, we have people running for local offices. That's going to make a big difference in this community. Let's continue to pray for this election in this country and this state and in our government. We pray for our government authorities, regardless of who gets voted in. We still pray for them. We still want God to work in them and through them. But let's not pray out of angst or fear, and let's pray less about, oh, Lord, you need to make this one person win and this other person lose. Stuff the ballot boxes, Lord, in your name. We need to pray less of that and pray more that, God, I trust you, and I want our church to be, I want the big C church in this country to be alive no matter what. I want the church to be active, not just, not just, not shouting judgment down at the people who disagree with them, but rather saying we have the source of life and hope and peace regardless of what goes on in our election. This is how I want our church to be alive. This is what we need to be praying for. I'm praying that there would be peace and calm, regardless of the results. I'm praying supernaturally that that would happen in our cities and around the nation. So I encourage you to join me and pray. Pray for our country. Pray that God would be moving through his church, and that's you and me. Pray for joy and peace, knowing that our God is sovereign and he is unfailing. It really comes down to the, the Lord's Prayer, and we'll end our prayer time with that, that thy kingdom come and thy will be done. That's really what it is. God, every day I want your kingdom to come and your will be done. Your kingdom is my ultimate allegiance. And I'll be involved in all the other smaller kingdoms around, but your kingdom come and your will be done. So let's do this. Let's pray as we wrap up. And I would just like you on your own just to pray for this week. Pray for this election. Pray for peace. Pray for a smooth process. Pray that God would move through his church. Pray for understanding. Pray for uh, a result that is not contested. God, we pray for this process this week. And again, God, we just commit it into your hands. We first and foremost just quiet our hearts and calm our hearts knowing that you are sovereign, you are in control, we trust you. And that is not going to change no matter what happens this week. You are watching over us and providing so much for us. You've blessed us in every way. And so from the start of this, we just acknowledge we have peace. We have peace. 
knowing that nothing is going to take that away from us, all the things that you bless us with. I'm praying for um, a sense of calm. I'm praying against the spirit of the enemy that would want to bring violence and division. I'm praying for your church to be focused on the right things, to be active, lifting our voice, declaring our trust in you that there is life and hope and peace in you, regardless of what happens. I'm praying that we would be active in all areas of our society, including our government, that we would bring the light of Jesus into every dark corner of our world. I'm praying that each of us would grow as a mature believer, having our allegiances lined up correctly, first and foremost with you, the kingdom of God, the author of life, the giver of everything we need. We trust you. We trust you. We may not trust our government. We may not trust all the other systems that are in place in this country. We trust you, and you are sovereign over all of it. So I'm praying supernatural peace for those who are weary and fearful. We recognize there are very real-life things at stake at this, in this election. I'm praying for a sense of calm and peace, knowing that you've got it. You're not flustered by it. You're not at a loss for how to navigate through it. And we thank you for that. So I pray that above all, that we would be focused on you, that you would be exalted through how we navigate through this week as mature believers. Let's close by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Homestead. Have a wonderful week. We will see you next Sunday.